Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to the class today, which is dedicated in honor and in loving memory of Jeanette Feldman, Adina Bat Yochever Alea Shalom by Gary Feldman and family. Uh, also dedicated in honor of uh, the rabbis anonymously, and as well, in loving memory of Bahia Rivka Batester by her grandchildren, Gail and Sonny Hadid. And uh, in honor and loving memory of Mo Male, Moshe ben Jamile, Alav Shalom, by his son, Jack Male. Our Pasuk tells us, Moshe Rabbeinu has two kids from Tzipora. The first kid that he has is called Gershom. Um, and why is it called Gershom? Because I was a, a uh, sojourner. I was a, uh, a stranger in a land that was uh, that was foreign to me, in a foreign land. V'shem ha'echad, and the second child, Eliezer, he was called Eliezer, ki Elohe avi be'ezri, because the God of my fathers uh, came uh, came to my uh, uh, salvation, came to help me. Now, there's a couple of questions that we have to answer here. I mean, the first question is just on a grammatical level. He's calling the son Gershom. Why is he calling him Gershom? Uh, he was trying to say that I'm a ger in this land, in the land that I'm in, in a foreign land. He should say gerpo, not gersham or gershom. And I don't want to turn this kid Hazi into a dreidel. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, without changing his name, why did Moshe Rabbeinu choose to say gersham or gershom when he was trying to illustrate that he was a, a foreigner in the land that he was in at the time? Not only that, the question that the rabbis ask as well is that the second child he named is Shema Echad Eliezer. And the second child he called Eliezer. Why did he call him Eliezer? Ki Elokhe Avi Be'ezri. Because the God of my father came to my rescue, save, saved me. And the Chachamim ask that chronologically the children were named incorrectly. Why? Because what happened to Moshe first? Was he saved by God first? Or did he have a child, or was he a stranger in a foreign land first? First, we know Moshe Rabbeinu was put in the river, sent down the river. Uh, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was found by Batya, raised in the house of Paro, right under the, uh, you know, under the nose of the authorities that were trying to kill him. He's uh, someone who manages uh, to stand up for the Jewish people and have his life saved in a miraculous fashion. All of these salvations happened before he became a stranger in a foreign land. So why is it that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, Gershom, he's calling him his son, his first son Gershom, when the first thing that happened was Elohe Avi Be'ezri. Interestingly enough, I was thinking as well, there's a second question that someone uh, has to pay attention to if they're looking at this critically. Elohe Avi Be'ezri, so what should he have called the child? Eli Avi Ezri. He should have called him, or, uh, uh, right? El Avi Ezri, God of my father helped me. Um, Eliezer means my God helped me. So why does he call him Elohe Avi Be'ezri and then for that reason and then call the child without mentioning his father? So I think that there's a couple different approaches to this, but I'd like to share with you one that really stuck with me. And that is that the Mepharshim explained, Chafetz Chaim says that Moshe understood that there was a more immediate danger that was facing him. He was living now in the house of Yitro, and it's true that in this week's parasha we read about Yitro converting, coming under the wings of the Shekhinah, becoming a part and parcel of the Jewish people. But at the time, Yitro was Kohen Midian. He was a priest for all the idols. 
uh, of, of the world. He was someone that went from one religion to the next, to the next, to the next, constantly shifting in his beliefs. So Moshe Rabbeinu was very worried that he would have an effect on him, on his family, and that philosophy of Yitro would permeate um, and would infiltrate his own religiosity. So Moshe Rabbeinu, in order to do that, names his child Gershom, that all the time he's calling his son, Gershom, Gershom, where are you, Gershom? Shaharit, Gershom, time to go to school. Gershom, feed the cows. You know, all the time he was saying again and again and again, uh, a foreigner, I'm an immigrant in this place. I'm a foreigner here. I'm a stranger here. I don't belong here. This is not my home. These are not my values. These are not my ideals. And by saying that repeatedly, he was able to ensure that he raised the family that he was supposed to. I think on some level, what Moshe was ensuring was that Elohe Aviv Ezri, that uh, Yitro was someone that worshipped many different gods. But how did Moshe know that he'd be able to stay true to Elohe Aviv, to the God of his fathers? How did he know that he'd be able to maintain that? The way that he did that was by constantly having something that checked him, that made him recognize and made him realize. My father was a very spiritual person. But his uh, process and his uh, values and his morals and his ideals, they don't match up with mine. So the way to be able to remember my, the God of my fathers, Elohe Avi, Eliezer, the God that helps me, the way to remember that and not to have Eliezer, a, a son, a relationship with God that is not the same as my parents. In order to do that, I'll have Gershom. And once I've said Gershom, then the God that helps me is the God that helped my parents. Got it? It's so beautiful. Uh, he's made this fence around himself, around his family, to be able to ensure that he's uncomfortable, that he feels uh, not at home in his host culture. And that way, the, when he calls his son Eliezer, the God that helped me, which God is he referring to? Not any of Yitro's gods, but the God... <clears throat> The God of his father, the God of his grandfather, the God of his, uh, of his forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Rabbutai, if this is true about someone like Moshe Rabbeinu, who would go on to be the ultimate prophet, the greatest Navi that the Jewish people ever had. He was someone who had no problems or qualms about his ego, about his, uh, you know, his position. He was someone who had the humility, had the derech eretz, had the Torah. He learned his father was Amram. He had the genetic predisposition, everyone in his family, if you think about it, was a Navi, Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. So this guy had everything going for him. But Moshe understood that if he could not place a barrier, something that reminded him all the time that I am not from here, these are not my peeps, this is not my religion, this is not my thought process, these are not my morals, then they would seep in. And then the child that he would call Eliezer would be maybe dedicated or reminiscent of a God that was very different to the God of his fathers. You know, it's a very important thing, this idea. Um, maintaining our individual individual religious background, knowledge, and, and foundations. We live today in a country uh, and in a world that tells you that you're not allowed to believe that you're right. You're not allowed to believe that you have truth Truth is subjective. It belongs to everybody and everybody's truth is very different than everybody else's truth. There is no objective truth to the point that you're not allowed to really even believe in what you believe in. Unless the only belief that you have is that there is no belief that is sacred and I have to believe whatever you believe and you have to have the space to be able to be 
and decide everything for yourself, and I have to kind of bow down. So the only belief we have is the belief of the other, but not of the belief of the self. And I think there's a crucial thing here, because if it was something that was going to affect Moshe Rabbeinu, surely it's something that's going to affect us. Surely it's someone that's going to affect lesser people. Surely it's someone, it's, uh, someone that's, something that's going to affect us in a country that was far worse than the country of Midian. Think about this for one minute. Yitro was a pariah. Remember, his daughters went to the well and everyone else was trying to chase them away and Moshe had to save them. The people didn't like Yitro in their village. Maybe he was too much of a truth seeker for them. Uh, they, he made them uncomfortable. But he, he was, so he, Moshe was fighting the influence of one man, of one home, one household. Whereas we are inundated all the time on our phones, uh, in the streets, advertisements. If you, you have a television or radio or newspaper, it's in your face all the time. And by the way, even if you have a Jewish newspaper or a Jewish magazine, also some of these things are being thrown at you all the time. Luxury as a Jewish necessity. That's a new thing. And that's being blared all the time. The finest cuts of meat. Your family deserves the best wine, the best meat. In ancient times, the best wine and the best meat was a, was a way to talk about the wayward derech, the wayward ways of a ben sorero moreh, a child that was going to rebel and throw everything away and become uh, not just a glutton, but eventually a thief to support his habits and then a murderer. So these ideas, they are permeating our world. And we need a constant pushback to say, this is not who we are, this is not what we value, this is not what we're about. Who does that for us? And how do we ensure that we have that? Rabotai, one of the great tragedies of this week was that we uh, were unfortunately, uh, through our many, many mistakes and averot, we lost four giants, four great tzaddikim in a span of one day. Rav David Salavechik, uh, Rav Torsky, Rav Abraham Torsky, um, Rav Shiner, Rav Avidan, and they were very different, each one from the other. But they brought very unique gifts to the Jewish people. All of them, though, did one thing that I feel uh, it, it, they shared in common. With each one of their different and varying gifts, you know, one in philosophy, one in, in the lumdus of brisk, each one bringing their own piece to the table, one in building the yeshiva, shivas of Kamenetz, another one in teaching the world about chesed and tzedakah, each one of them bringing different things. But they did say something. They, they communicated a, a way which was different than the world around us. That they were clearly the same in. They preached and lived and breathed a way of Torah and mitzvot that said that the life of a Jewish person is supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be higher. It's supposed to be more important, less trivial, less transient. Moshe was not just saying, Ger, Sham, I'm a Ger here. He was saying, in effect, he could have chosen to say, Ger, Po, I'm calling my son, I'm a stranger here, or I'm a stranger there. The stranger there had an added benefit. Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, I'm going to leave this place one day so that at that stage, the name Paul is not going to work anymore. I know that my path is going to take me away from here, back towards Eretz Israel, back towards a different life's mission. And therefore, I'm going to call my son Ger Sham. 
He was illustrating already from then that I'm so not at home here, that I'm prepared and ready and even making uh, names in my family that illustrate that I'm going to go there. But I think it's deeper than that. What Moshe was effectively communicating was wherever he would go, the child would be Gershom. There was really nowhere here on earth that Moshe Rabbeinu really felt at home. And I think it is because of that fact that Moshe Rabbeinu gets to go up to heaven and become pals with the angels. He was more at home there in a world of spirituality, of pure spirituality, than he ever was in this world. And that idea communicated through the naming of his son, Gershom, was something that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu managed to achieve in his life. One of the great gifts of the Sadiqim is that they act as, act as a check and a bulwark against us forgetting what it is that we are doing here in this world and why we are walking uh, the streets of these great cities and the countries that we find ourselves in. What is the Jewish mis- mission? What is the Jewish purpose for life? You know, if you ever go on vacation to a beautiful destination, I want you to imagine you go to a magnificent island with the water as clear, you could see into the sea, fish swimming around 30 feet away from you. The sand is the finest powder. The sky is the deepest blue and the sun casts its warm, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, visage, I don't even know what word to use, it's, it's so cold and dreary and full of snow over here, the sun casts its, uh, its warm uh, gl- uh, glow upon your face, you're enjoying every second of it, you come back to the room and your wife is sitting there sleeping in bed, the shades are drawn, there's no sun in the room, it's pitch black, you say, honey, it's a beautiful day outside, come, you have to see what, you know, what it looks like, it's so magnificent here where we got to go on vacation, and your wife said, I'm so tired, leave me alone, I'm so exhausted from the kids, I just want to sleep. Anyway, she sleeps through the day. She comes out at night, you can't see outside, you can't see the ocean, you can't see the sky. You can't see. Next thing, next day in the morning, again, the guy gets up, Baruch She'amah, the sun rises on the ocean, he's going crazy, what a beautiful, it's literally Gan Eden outside. His wife is sleeping, 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 till she wakes up again, after sunset, she doesn't get to see. Eventually, the guy says to his wife, you begged me to take you on a beautiful vacation. We're here in the most beautiful place on earth and you actually haven't gone out to see and take advantage of this place. Who doesn't see the beautiful sights of a city? Who doesn't go to visit the Empire State Building and the Statue of Liberty and, uh, you know, uh, Rockefeller Center? Who doesn't go? The people who live here don't go see the beautiful things in this city. That's how it works, always. Go to France, ask a French guy about the, you know, the nuances of the Eiffel Tower. You don't know. Ask a tourist, they'll tell you, well, it was built in the year, right? Why? Because the tourists come to see things that they only get a chance to see for a short amount of time. When you come there and you feel comfortable, I have this museum and that museum and this park and that, you know, arch. I have time to go. And then you never go. What's crucial to a traveler is to remember that they do not come from that place. And that soon they will be going to another place. And if they don't take advantage of the beautiful things that this city, or this village, or this town, or this island has to offer, soon the vacation's over and you're going to be in that place again. 
the Mishnah tells us always that a person, if he's trying to avoid sin, should remember, bata. where did you come from and where are you going to? If you remember that you are a finite being and you're only here in this world for a short amount of time, before you move on and you transition to to the next world, you will always feel like Moshe tried to feel a visitor in your place. And that will mean that every day when you wake up, you'll try and grab every single extra moment that you have, uh, you know, from that place. I remember a little while ago, we just went to a hotel and we arrived at the hotel. It was too early for check-in. And the person said, you know, I can't check you in yet. You're too early for check-in. But if you want, you could leave your bags here and feel free to make use of the hotel and, you know, walk the grounds or whatever. A person comes to a hotel for three days or two days, or a day, so even though you're going to check in, before you check in, you're trying to get the grounds, and after you check out, you leave your stuff by security, and you're still going to the pool, and you know, hanging out on the roof, and whatever the case might be, because you, you know you have a limited time there. Moshe Rabbeinu was someone that always wanted to remember that he and we, indeed, have a limited time here, and what are we going to do with the time that we have? You know, it's such an important uh, message that we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, the Chafetz Chaim, in encouraging people uh, to use their time here on earth wisely, he would tell them all the time that they should learn the Shulchan Aruch. Study the laws, know how a Jew is supposed to live, and that's an incredibly important thing. So someone once asked the Chafetz Chaim, why is it so important to you that you should have uh, study the laws of the Chaf- of uh, what's it called, of uh, Shulchan Aruch? Don't we know anyway all Jewish people have a portion in the world to come. And the Chafetz Chaim answered, he said, that's true. But Chazal tell us, anyone who studies halachot every day, he's, he can be assured that he's ben olam haba. He is a son of olam haba. A portion, every Jew has a portion. But a portion can be very, very, very small. Ben olam haba means this is my house, I live here. I'm a child of this home. Uh, all the amenities, all the rooms, all the everything that, that, is, that is there in Olam, that's all for me. And how does a person get that? By learning the ways uh, that a Jew is supposed to live, you know, throughout their life. And it's such an important thing, this idea, to be able to appreciate, both in terms of the world and the way that you live your life here and gaining and making sure that you use every single moment, but also uh, in terms... Uh, of of planning, so to speak, for the future. Now, one of the beautiful things I always uh, I always like to point out when we talk about the gedolim is this specific idea. You know, the um, Rav Yisrael Salante once wrote a magnificent idea. He says the Gemara asks, "What is an apikore? Someone that denies God has no portion or lamaba? Who's this person that has no portion in the world to come?" And the Gemara says he's an apikores. He's a, a, a denier. Yes, the Gemara, what is an Apikores? And the Gemara says in the name of Rabbi Yosef, I remember Yosef, anyone who says, my Ahanele Rabbanan, what are the rabbis doing for me? Someone today dedicated the class in honor of all the rabbis, Hazaku Baruch, it's a perfect day for, for, this, for this idea to be shared. My Ahanele Rabbanan, what did the rabbis do for me? They read, they learn the Torah, they do for themselves, they study for themselves, right? Rashi says on those people, these people don't realize that in the zechut of the great tzaddikim that study and learn Torah, the world exists uh, for them. Rav Yisrael Salante asks a beautiful question. He says, I don't understand. Good, you want to tell me, a guy says, what good are the rabbis? They're sitting there studying, what good does that do for me? You know, 
I understand, might not be such a nice thing to say. But to say that the person has no portion in the world to come, such a terrible punishment for, uh, for saying that the rabbis are of no use. They, are, you know, they don't help. And Rav Yisrael Salanta says something amazing. He says as follows. He says, it doesn't mean that you lose your portion in the world to come for making that statement. It means something different. The Pasuk says in Kohelet, All of the hard work of a person, lefiu, is for his mouth. A deeper explanation of the Pasuk than is immediately evident yields the idea that We come to this world and from the beginning until the end, every minute that we breathe, um, every, every second that we have the gift of sight, that we can hear, that our hearts are beating, that our lungs are working and we can breathe. Every single moment we're experiencing such great kindnesses from God. You had some money, you had some food, you had some time, you had some friends, you weren't persecuted. We, we're given kindness after kindness after kindness after kindness from God. We don't earn, we don't deserve those kindnesses. And the Pasuk is telling us that kol amal adam, all of the work of the person is lefiu, is enough to just, just to feed, you don't even feed yourself with the work that you do. What's the indi- indication? That the expenses that it costs to live are greater than that which you're bringing in. We, if all the mitzvot that we did were tallied, we would still not be able to earn our place here vis-a-vis HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So God's giving us much more than we're earning. So how do we get to Olam Abba and have anything then? If everything we've eaten up, all my hard work, it goes directly to my mouth and I swallow it, I consume it. And the answer is, our rabbis tell us about Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was very, very poor. But even though he was very poor, he had nothing, still the entire world uh, was, ex- is, was in existence in his merit. The great tzaddikim, our rabbis tell us, they support the world with their merits. That's what Rashi is saying. That the great tzaddikim, you think the guy's just sitting there learning in the Beta Medrash. He's sitting and studying. He's sitting there working on his midot. But you know, he doesn't come to me. He doesn't help me. He doesn't advise me. What's he doing for me? What has he done for me? But you don't realize that in the merit of the greatest tzaddikim in this world, the world exists. If not for Biriti or Mamba Laila, for my unending covenant, the covenant of Torah, God says, uh, the rules of the world, the natural order of things, and the world operating fully, it would cease to exist. So if a person denies that the rabbi is doing him any good, then the world for him is not surviving, is not existing in their merit. What is he using to have his world continue and to have his world be sustained? His own merit. Oh, that's the case. You eat up all of your merits, all of your mitzvot, just by living. And by the time you finish, what happens? This person winds up with no portion in the world to come. What a powerful idea. And I thought that maybe perhaps that idea could be expressed in a more natural setting. Not just vis-a-vis the world to come. Not just vis-a-vis a portion in Olam Haba. But to think about the fact that if a person has tremendous respect for the great rabbis, the experts in spiritual life in this world, then they have a possibility of gaining spirituality in this world. Because the only anchors, so to speak, that which set us up and push aside all these external influences are the great gedolim, the great rabbanim, the great educators, the sadikim and the sidkaniyot, 
the great uh, uh, righteous people that live in every generation. But when a person allows himself to speak badly about the great tzaddikim, or to say, what are they worth, or what's their value? I mean, I read an article yesterday that said, some people call Rav Chaim Kanievsky the prince of Torah, and some people call him the king of COVID. Bar minan. Words like this cannot come out of our mouths. Because the minute you take a tzaddik off the pedestal that he is on, that he is supposed to be on, when they teach us about the world and the way it's supposed to be, Rabbi Kanievsky told the world numerous times that they have to wear masks. He told the world numerous times that they have to be safe. But he said that you can't close the yeshivot. Now, I'm not arguing or arguing against this idea. What I'm saying is that what is essential for a society is allowed to stay open. So as an example, in New York City, they're fighting very hard to reopen Broadway and to have checks for Broadway, COVID checks, you'll be able to once again go to the theater. They're working on allowing restaurants to have COVID tests, on flights to have COVID tests, because it's crucial that we travel. It's crucial that we have entertainment. It's crucial that we eat out in uh, in restaurants. Well, for our segment of the population, we know that Torah is what keeps the Jewish people alive. It's what keeps the world moving. So yes, we're terrified of closing those yeshivot. Absolutely, it needs to be done with all of the precautions. Absolutely, we need to be careful about whatever we need to be careful about. No question. But somehow you see that in this country, this fans going to football games. This coming week is going to be the Super Bowl. And for all the talk about how we have to be careful that people shouldn't sit together, there's going to be 7,500 health workers and 17,000 seats being sold. I'm not taking anything away from the Super Bowl. I love football. But that's something that our society deemed important. So what did we do? We figured out a way to make it happen. Rabotai, the longer you're in a society, the more you start to think like them. Oh, those are the important things. But my thing, my thing's not so important. My rabbi, these rabbis, they're out of touch. They don't really know. They're not really on top of it. They don't really get it. The minute a person does that, not only do we talk about them losing the portion in the world to come, but what chance do they have of their spirituality surviving, the never-ending, the ceaseless pounding of the waves against each and every one of us to become more and more and more like our host cultures. Once upon a time, a person was capable of going with the flow and just being Jewish almost without even doing anything, just kind of being part of a community. You know, that was once uh, the truth. It was a land that we knew. We lived in Israel. We had uh, you know, the, the earth was plowed. We had ruts in the road that our wheels kind of fit into. But today, with the freedoms that we have and uh, the fact that we didn't get loot for such a long time, it is such an important thing to be able to have and to understand the value of those Rabbanim that remind us again and again, Gersham, you are a foreigner where you are. Um, this is not your value system. They are fighting today for many things and executive ordering many things in our country that are not Jewish values. Don't let that slowly but surely trickle into your head until you forget what your own values are. That is the value of the great tzaddikim, that they stand up and remind us again and again what it really means to be a Jewish person and what it really means to follow in the ways of the Torah. And after this week, we are that much poorer. We are that much without a shepherd. 
we are that much more responsible to step up each and every one of us um, and do our very best to be able to uphold the Jewish way of life, the way of living of by Torah, and uh, ensuring that our children and grandchildren are also following in the ways of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that we will say about the children in the future, uh, Eli Ezer, that they will recognize that it is only God's help that helps us get through our life, and the only way to get to Eli Ezer is to call the first son Gershom, is to have a little bit of discomfort in the places that we are in, with the values that they hold, uh, and w- with the uh, uh, ideals that they are espousing. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.